Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome back to Hashtag RealPod. I'm your host, Victoria Garrick, and I have a great feeling about today. It's going to be an awesome Tuesday, and I am so excited about this guest. I wanted to bring on someone who I thought would be able to relate to all of our listeners out there that are seeking a more balanced, well-rounded, and overall peaceful lifestyle, which I think most of us are. No one wants to feel stressed or constantly like there's chaos around them. So I have brought in a specialist who is perfect to answer all of our questions. Her name is Erica Spiegelman. Erica is a best-selling author and addiction and wellness specialist. She works directly with clients, couples, and families on personal growth and overall wellness. Erica has been featured on both the Fox LA and Fox New York news stations. She's been on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. She's written about healthy living on the popular website, Poosh. And now Erica's here today to sit down with me and discuss all things wellness, time management, self-care, stress management, self-love, coping mechanisms, and more. I learned so much talking with Erica. She challenged me at one point to discover if maybe I was the reason other things in my life weren't happening the way I wanted to. If you listen to this podcast through, you'll know more what I'm talking about. But I just wanted to explain right now that I learned a big thing about myself by talking with Erica, and I couldn't even figure out on the spot, you know, what that real answer was when she asked and sort of challenged me to figure it out. But if you listen all the way through, at the end, I talk about what I believe Erica was getting at and how I really, really can relate and think it was absolutely genius the way she kind of helped me rewire my thinking to see that maybe there was something I could do to make this aspect of my life better. So thank you for tuning in today. Make sure you rate and review this podcast if you enjoy it. Let's get started with the episode. Here we go. I'm very excited to have you because... I think a lot of the stuff that you have researched and the work you dedicate your life to is similar to the type of message I want to bring to my audience. Totally. And a lot of them are stressed with time management. Yeah. And I think addiction, I know, so you're the author of Best Selling Rewired, uh-huh. which is a bold new approach to addiction recovery, focuses on how individuals can rewire their brains, change their behavior, and bring about positive change in their lives. Yes. And I love to talk about what brought you to writing that book and yeah. where the inspiration came from. Okay, yeah. Well, I think I think your audience is like, you know, when it comes to behaviors that cause negative consequences is what we're really talking about. You know, addiction obviously causes negative consequences. So does obsessive thinking. 
um, dysmorphia, you know, I mean, like anything where it, like it starts in our thoughts, like everything starts in our thoughts. So like, that's why rewired was the title of the book originally, because I was like, wow, I changed my life 14 years ago, stopped drinking myself, um, went back to school to UCLA to get my degree in addiction therapy and counseling. And, um, I started helping others, but I mean, I went through my own journey of recovery myself. So mm-hmm. for me, like I realized that everything started with my thoughts and everything was mental, like everything's in your brain. So how do we begin to change those habits, thought habits? How do we begin to start rewriting narratives and stories that, that are placed in our minds or the little stories are placed in our heads when we're little people, whether through society giving us some messaging or our family of origin having certain patterns. Um, and so, again, I had to look at my own upbringing and then obviously start to change and reframe a lot of my own stories. And when you do the work yourself, as you know, it's, it's much easier to help others. And then obviously getting a professional degree behind it and understanding the brain from a scientific point of view helped as well. So I started writing that book on, based on how to rewire. When was the moment in your life that you realized rewiring is even a thing? And you were like, oh my gosh, it's my thoughts. It's everything I've been thinking. Mm-hmm. When was that turning point for you? I think when I stopped drinking and I got, I chose like a sober life in a sense, you know, I tell my clients this, so I I also do therapy with clients and I have a private practice, but I tell, and I've, I've had it for over a decade, but I tell my clients too, sobriety and recovery is much more than just not engaging in the behavior, whether it's not drinking or not cutting or not, whatever the behavior is, gambling, it could be, you know, even like juuling, having an abusive boyfriend or girlfriend in college. Like there's so many things that we cope with and that we become addicted to and we don't even realize it. Yeah, exactly. So it's much more than just putting down the drink or putting, you know, getting rid of the boyfriend. It's, it's, it's choosing recovery. It's choosing a path of authenticity, of honesty, of uh, honoring self-care, of having good time management, of having good boundaries. And those are the chapters of my book. I mean, that's so I was looking all over for like literature in terms of recovery and like no one was talking about those things. It was just kind of like, know your triggers. Don't pick up a drink. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, don't call the guy back. Like you're codependent. Don't do this. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it was, it did not, it, like there was nothing out there to explain like how to change, you know? And so I think it's like clicked then for me. When I changed my life, I was just like, oh, this is how we change the foundation. Because you can't, it's like building a house. Like if you do not put a foundation down to build a house, it's going to fall. And and the same thing goes with recovery. And you mentioned that our thoughts, everything stems from the story we tell ourselves in our brain. And I'm big on preaching that as well, because Uh I think that's exactly where confidence comes from. Yeah. And I frequently would tell myself these stories that I'm not good enough. I'm not this, I'm not that. And you believe it because you're the one that you're hearing 24-7 every single second of your day. Right. So how important is it to pay attention to the thoughts we're having? It's the most important. It's it. It's like the awareness around that is the first step, you know? And it's really hard. That's why I encourage people to journal. My newest book came out last November. It's called The Rewired Life. And it's it's not geared towards people in recovery. It's geared for the general public because we talk about you know, healthy habits with technology and sleep and nutrition. And so it's more than just, you know, substances, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically the one thing we have to pay attention to. So journaling is super important. So, um, you know, people even have clients that take a rubber band and snap themselves, which is not, you know, but there's, (laughs) there's like, if you having a thought or they label their, their thoughts, they give like that, that, 
beast a name. Like they, you know, they call their thoughts something else when they're negative. Like there's so many little tricks you could do visualizations, but it it really starts to help just like journaling, noticing when you're having negative self-talk or low self-esteem, where did it come from? How did it start? What stressed you out that day? What made you anxious? A lot of people I think listening to this are relating. They're thinking I've had these thoughts. Mm -hmm. So if I told you that I had a thought that was, um, okay, I'm not good enough to be doing this uh, thing. Whether mm-hmm. that's, I'm not good enough to be at my position at work. I'm not good enough to be in this relationship with someone. Right, I'm right. not good enough to be on this team. How would you go about having me understand and deconstruct that thought? Mm-hmm. Well, I would first ask you, like, why aren't you good enough? Let's talk about that, you know? And you could say, oh, because, you know, I'm not lovable or I'm not pretty enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm not as good as this person. I don't have this degree. Like, whatever it is, right? It That, you know, we. I usually go backwards. So I, I tell people, like, what, instead of, like, what are you? What are you not? You know? And so they're like, oh, well, I'm not dumb and I'm not, you know, a mean person. Oh, so that must mean you're nice, right? Yeah. Okay. So we start going that way because I, I come, you know, I come from a background of dealing with people who are really broken. Like they've come from decades of just spiritlessness, you know, and they really don't see any good qualities in themselves and they've done a lot of damage in their lives and they've gone through a lot of trauma. So for me, that's helpful is to ask you like, well, who aren't you? And then we get to who you are, you know, it kind of thing. Totally. It's like a reverse way of discovering who you are at your core. Yeah. And, and I think also values are important. So I talked, I have a whole chapter on values in my new book, but you know, knowing what your values are, like, you know, um, if you value, you know, compassion and love and, you know, kindness to people, I'd say that's a value of yours. Then why aren't you doing that for yourself? You know, living incongruently, um, you know, I'd also ask you like where this story came from. You know, if I said, you know, for me, I, I had a teacher, a math teacher when I was in third grade that tell me that I wasn't good at math, that focus on English. You're really good at writing. You're really good at history, but you'll never be good at math. She told me this. So I, li- that was literally a story I chose to believe. And I didn't even do my math sections on my SATs. Never tried in math in any capacity until I started my own business. And I was like, I can do math. Like this is ridiculous. Right. I mean, ridiculous. She's encouraging this fixed mindset of you can't be good at something no matter how hard you try. This is it. The right. limit of your abilities. Right. Whereas you could definitely grow and learn to be as good as math as you want to. Exactly. Do you think there's a fault to core values, because when you say that, mm-hmm. I mean, something I immediately think of is loyalty, mm-hmm. and that is one of my core values. Mm-hmm. And I find that because I value that so much, even a shred of unloyalty, like even in a friendship, even yeah. a new relationship, and I'm not talking about like someone cheating on me, I'm right. just saying a uh, back talk, mm-hmm. or I, I don't know. I find that because I value it so much. And it's such a high standard for me that a lot of times people aren't there. And -hmm. I think some people can think, oh, I value this so much. And a lot of people don't. So, but I would ask you, like, you value it to like your detriment. Like, why, why for you is that so important? Did someone betray your trust before? Like, maybe it's you're projecting your own issues onto someone else. That's true. You know, I'm trying to think. It Hmm. probably is some to some extent. You know, like you're judging them. And being really hard on their behavior because it triggers you or, you know, you're projecting your own stuff. So I would caution you. I mean, I think it's great to have values and to be like, 
this is a red flag and uh-huh. I don't accept that behavior in my life. But yet if somebody is just talking back or doesn't agree with you or, you know, there's a variation of it, then it's probably just your ego and something that's happened to you. Interesting. I love that you say that because I have never thought of it in that way of, you know, has something happened to me in regards to this, that I'm having all these emotions, sensitive around right, it. right. That this little thing's happening that really doesn't matter. wouldn't affect others, but it's affecting me. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I wish I could think about what it is that, that happened to you. But I love that. Like well, once think again, about it. Yeah. that reverse way of saying, you know, I love it. Bringing it back to me. Like how, Always could, how could I yeah. be accountable for this? And I change this in my life rather than, Oh, everyone else is not up to my standard. Well, yeah. And also the thing is, is like every emotion, every, okay. So every criticism you have or complaint you have about someone else's behavior, right? Whether it's their disloyal or whether they didn't call you back or didn't text you back and you know, whatever it is, any complaint or criticism, everyone listening, you know, that we have is a emotional need of yours not being met and you're not expressing it or you're not aware of it. So it's like emotional need, like you don't text me back. So I, instead of me being like, you never text me back. You're so annoying. I'm not talking to you anymore. Instead of that, you call someone up and be like, you don't text me back. I don't feel like I'm a priority to you. That's the emotional need. I don't feel like you respect me or my time. That's the emotional need, but we never like see it like that. We just, we see the surface. We see like you know, this person's behavior is bad, but really like turn it back around on yourself and look at like, what am I not getting? Or what am I feeling is a need that's not being met? And how can I communicate that so that I can actually have a relationship? And if that person can't communicate at that point or doesn't give you what you want, then it's okay to say, hey, you're being too disloyal for me or, you know. Yes. And I also think along with that is we have this idea Mm. of let's talk about relationships because that's the example you just used with texting this idea of what a good relationship is or what being in love looks like from whether it's movies or TV. So we think we have to have that even if we don't. And for example, when I first started dating my current boyfriend, Max, my old boyfriend was really jealous. And I, you know, what, what am I wearing? Which guys are there? Which that? So when I first went to a party and Max didn't text me those things, I was like, why don't you care what it like? Why don't you care about these things? And he was like, cause I trust you and right, have right. a good time. And I thought, wow, you're right. That's not something I need in a relationship. It was yeah. this thing that I thought you're was conditioned. Love. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're conditioned to think that that was love. Right. Yeah. And so you've mentioned, um, that we have misconceptions of love and that we mythologize sort of what it is. Could you dive into that for me? Yeah. I mean, I think so back to narratives, back to your stories. So Growing up, let's say, we all came from a different family background, right? Like some of us came from a home where we had parents were divorced, some were married for 40 years, some had, you know, very, like, watched parents fight and had a tumultuous relationship, and some of us had, you know, to see things that were maybe, um, you know, conditional love, where... Let's say if I did well in school, that's when I would find, you know, or get love from my parents. This happens all the time. You know, if I did good at sports, then I, I felt loved, you know, conditional. Unconditional, some people experience too, which is like, if I failed, my parents are like, cool, doesn't matter. Let's mm-hmm. go out and have ice cream. Like, doesn't, I'm not punished for, for certain things. So again, love in general is what we've seen, like what was mirrored to us. So like, if you think about being a little person looking up at these two human beings that you're living with, what kind of love did you see between them? What kind of love did they show you? What kind of love did they show themselves? So we kind of have to look at, our own upbringing and be like, oh, that's where that came from. You know, my mom, I've told you this before, 
always said she was fat. Like she would always complain about, she never ever criticized me about my weight when I was little. But she would talk about her own image. She would talk about her own image, right. And so again, I've told her this now as a therapist and with total, you know, open heartedness with her. It's just like, mom, when you used to like constantly look in the mirror and call yourself fat and da da da. I received that message as I'm not okay if I am fat or if I don't look a certain way as a daughter, as a woman. Yes, because you're idolizing her as your mother. Right. And the, and the habits and the things that she talks about, you now take on to yourself. Of course. And, and you, and so exactly. So that's the same thing with love is like, ask yourselves, everyone that's listening, like what messages did you receive around love in your life? Like, did you watch your parents, um, you know, criticize each other, bicker with each other. Maybe you're going to go into a relationship when you become an adult and think that that is normal. And that other person may come from a different family and they're like, that is not normal. And I don't want to bicker with you. That doesn't mean you love me. That means that you don't like me. But again, these are the messages we have to start to like journal and really like write down some of these things that you, you could think about that stand out to you and think about it maybe for a week. Do you think that there are some young kids who could notice the love or the relationship of their family when they're young and immediately say, like, I know this isn't good or I know this isn't the way to love? Yeah, I mean, I think I think most people energetically pick up on things when they're young, whether they have the, the language to, to understand it is, you know doesn't really come till later maybe, but they definitely have a feeling of anxiety. I mean, that's why people have anxiety attacks. That's why I have 16-year-old kids, you know, that are um, full-blown full panic attacks for some reason. They don't know where it's coming from. It's it's because they pick up on a lot of energy growing up that was traumatic to them, which they don't understand what trauma is, you know? So trauma is something where, you know, there's big traumas in our lives, um, accidents, betrayals, uh, divorces, and then there's little traumas where it's like just small things like people fighting every day or yelling in the house or raging or, you know, criticizing or bullying or like, you know, these things could be from little to big, Mm -hmm. you know? I love how you mention energy and I know you're very spiritual Mm -hmm. and how important is it to understand the environment we're in and the vibe of that culture. As from an athlete background, I've been on teams where the energy was bad. Yeah. And I would have to sort of acknowledge that that's how it's going to be and find out, find where I was going to tether to before I stepped into that energy for the next three hours of a practice or something. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we become aware of the energy around us and notice like if it's good or bad for us? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, you know, uh, there's, it's called somatic therapy, which is like when you start it, somatic is like how your body holds energy, your body holds pain, your body holds, um, anxiety, you know, like from others. I mean, if you're starting to feel anxious, do body scan. Like I tell people, like if, if you're starting to feel like panicked, can't breathe, sweaty palms, you know, or just even just like bad vibes somehow, like remove yourself, walk away. Um, even if you can't, like you're on a team and you're on a bus, let's say traveling, I, I I tell people to like imagine this white it's like a clear white bubble around you and it like literally you have to visualize it like sit for five minutes and close your eyes and visualize this clear beautiful white like bubble around you and it's like just keep yourself in that like keep yourself in your own space your own energy even if people are around you and trying to poke at you and pop that bubble don't allow it you know so visualizations like that I think really help when it comes to being stuck with people that you don't choose to be around like you were, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that's really helpful. Removing yourself time limits. Like I always tell people to have boundaries 
with their time. Yes. I love this idea of boundaries. And you talk about that a lot in your book. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into boundaries. Mm -hmm. Well, there's so many kinds of boundaries in this circumstance. What we're talking about is like boundaries with your time. Like even if I'm like really rushed and I know my mom's going to like talk for 40 minutes, I'll be like, mom, I have 10 minutes to talk and then I got to go. You know, so I warn her beforehand. I mean, that's a small boundary, but it's but it works because then I'm like, oh my god, okay, ten minutes is up, I have to go, and she's not like, why did you cut me off? Like, how right. come? Like, and, I, and then I don't feel stuck too because a lot of people don't know how to say no, which boundaries yes, help with. That was a big issue I had that caused right. me a lot of stress in college was constantly saying yes and wanting to people please. Right, exactly, exactly. So that's where boundaries come in to save you in that way. It keeps you; they keep you safe. They allow. Um, balance kind of back to your life you know I mean you could also just have a boundary if somebody guilts you all the time or you know does something that you feel is violating in any way shape and form you're you can say to them you know when you do this I will walk out of the room if you raise your voice to me I will walk out of the room or I will hang up the phone so when you is the so this is like the little cheat sheet of when you do this right when you guilt me. I will. And then the consequence and the consequence has to be followed through or else you're like the little girl who cries wolf. Like if I say I'll walk out of the room and I don't, and I sit there while my boyfriend yells at me and I don't show him that and teach him who I am and what I mean is true. Teach him how you want to be treated. Yeah. If I don't do that and I keep allowing that behavior, he's never going to learn. So again, consequences have to be followed through on or else no one's going to take your boundary seriously. Um, but it is really important to learn how to communicate them to start. When you're setting a boundary, I think it's likely that a person or someone might dislike that. For example, if your right. mom has to, like, oh, you have to leave in 10 minutes. When you let me know, it makes me feel like you're, I'm on the clock and you're not even present with me. Right, right, right. Um, you know, let's talk about this idea of self-care, which is setting this boundary because you need it, right. even if it might come at an expense of hurting someone else's feelings. Right, right. Well, I say kind of too bad when it comes to that, you know, like my belief is, you know, you have to be authentic and honor yourself always. And so if something is a boundary for you and, and someone else doesn't like that you're getting healthier, someone doesn't like that you have to go to bed early now, someone doesn't like that you want to go out, take a run in the mornings. Like, you know, when I changed my life, it was really hard for my family and friends to like get used to the new me, you know? And I was like, no, I need to be selfish. And I'm sorry if you want to stay out till 12, but I'm leaving at 10. And if that means I'll take an Uber home by myself, that's fine. But I'm not going to sit here and stay out when I have, you know, I have, I have a plan tomorrow. I want to hold myself accountable. And so accountability is also a huge thing, which we could get into, but, but again, it's like it, for me, I have to protect myself and my routines and my boundaries. And to me, that's a non-negotiable. So it's like, I'm sorry if you feel like you're on the clock. I am present with you for these 10 minutes. I am not doing anything but listening to you, you know, but I also have a job and I also have to go exercise and I also have to go meditate or whatever I need mm -hmm. to do. I'm sorry if that is making you feel like I'm not present, but I, you know. What would you say to someone listening who knows that they need that? They need to prioritize themselves, but they need to, they're trying to figure out how Confusing to find the courage others. and strength to do that. Yeah. I think, you know, it's really hard. It's hard to put ourselves first in a culture where we're like, you know, we are rewarded for so much when it comes to like our looks or how we perform at work or money achievement. and achievement and power and all these things. But, but really none of that is going to be possible on a sustainable level unless you take care of yourself. Like you could probably make tons of money, but you'll be 
burnt out and and not sick totally and, happy and, inside and not healthy probably eventually. Um, along with self care is this time management and why is that such an important thing to prioritize in our lives mm-hmm. as we have so many things going on, especially all these college kids that listen and follow, you know, they want to know school. I have sports, I have family, I have right, this. Right. And honestly, sometimes I found that I have to, I might come up short in one of those. Mm-hmm. I, I, I might, I don't think it's possible to be a straight A student, no. a star player, the best girlfriend and the best daughter. Like some of those things are going to suffer, right? but it's just picking and choosing like what is important. Right. Would you agree with that? Totally. I would totally agree with that. I was just going to answer that and that exactly what you said. Um, yeah. Like, you know, even in my new book, I talk about, you know, um, prioritizing like what is necessary today and what is what, like, what, what would be nice and nice to do or what was like, what is the priority to do? You know, like it'd be nice to go sit and hang out with my mom for an hour, but guess what? (laughs) Like, I don't have time to do that today. You know, um, it would be nice to like go get my nails done, but you know what today I have, you know, what's more important is to see clients that need me or my son that needs me, you know, like you just have to start to like, I, I'm a, the biggest believer in lists. I have like an old school planner. Like I like write things down. <laughs> I just got a bullet journal. I'm so excited to Bujo. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. It's, you would love it. I'll show it to you after. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it's like that on steroids. Yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> but I, I'm like, you know, for me, studying the brain too, like pen to paper really does help us feel less chaotic and more organized when it comes to time management. So I, I encourage people like, Oh no, I have my phone. I have my computer. That's great, but it but but scientifically they've done like millions of studies. Like there there there's something about writing things down. So make to do lists, guys. Like get an old school planner. It's four dollars at CVS. You feel good crossing something off with a red marker. You're like, totally. I did it. Totally. But what's the balance with time management and self care? Yeah. Because you know you give examples of having to sacrifice family time, yeah. what this and that. Yeah. But then there's that self care element. Yeah, I mean, I would say put self care first. You know, I tell people you know, most, I mean, if you're really a night person, fine, but I would push yourself to do things in terms of self-care early on in your day. Like even if you have to go to school at 8am for a class, like get up at six, go to bed at 10, like just try and create a schedule where your energy is at the best, your metabolism's at the best, like everything is running at a, at a better rate in the mornings for you. So again, try and do that. Some people are like night owls, but it, it, that is just because their schedule's so off. Society also can make us feel like the things we want to do for self-care are sort of bad things. For example, if someone's self-care would be watching one episode of Friends or yeah. one episode of The Office, yeah. um, you know, I think that's okay to do. Where some people yeah. might think, oh, you just at home watching Netflix by yourself. It's like, okay, well, if that 25, 30-minute episode is your yeah. reward for the day or yeah. your soothingness to sleep... Um, or just that mindlessness. Like I yeah. love watching some mindless shows. Yeah, yeah. Because they bring me that as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so it's whatever works for you, and not what everyone else is thinking should be your self care. Oh, totally. I mean, but the thing about self care is, is like, and I would do the same thing. I'd come home from like a day, like I worked at a treatment center, a big one in in, uh, in uh, Malibu, and and like I'd come home and I would be like, I'm watching mindless TV for an hour because it was like the only thing to help me like detach from the day. But that wasn't my only self care. So. Like, please, if everyone thinks about this, if you can, like, think about mind, body, spirit every day. Like, what are the things you're going to do in terms of self-care for your mind, body, and spirit? Sometimes, like, one thing serves all three. Sometimes watching a show doesn't serve your physical need. So, like, 
I, I started running when I changed my life and I'm pregnant for the second time, as you know. Um, so I haven't like run consistently in like two years, you know, I mean, I just started running in between babies, but I only had three months off and, and it wasn't like real running, but I was just like, I remembered like, Oh, running made me feel spiritually connected. Um, mentally, like I, 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 be able to process things better. Physically, I was able to move my body. So it hit on all those things for me. And then when I would come home and watch for an hour of TV, like at four, I was like, but I'm already done with like moving my body and I'm already done with, you know, mind, body, and spirit. I love that. That's like the triad for you. So it's for everyone. You believe, yes, you believe that. And so what would be an example of like, I, I guess I struggle with differentiating spirit and mind. Yeah, I think spirits like like connection to yourself. So for me, like running was like I before I'd end my run, I would go over my gratitude list of like what I'm like blessed for. So I'd be like, thank you for my family, thank you, you know, it'd be like the last block before I get home. And for me, like it was I was out in nature, which is for me is very it helps me connect with like myself, the gratitude of the sun and the fresh air. And, you know, so it's that's what a spiritual practice is. It's just connecting with yourself, like what makes you feel like your spirit is lit up emotionally. Those are connecting to those emotions. Yeah. Okay. And then the mind could be, um, processing any, all the thoughts right. that come in, you know, all day. Uh, or if I had a, I would like have like an issue with like a boyfriend at the time. And I'd be like, oh, I don't know why this is happening. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I want to process this. I'd be like, Erica, just pose the question. Maybe you'll come up with an answer or a thought during your run. And I would do that. And it would actually come up with it. That's awesome that you found something that has been able to fulfill all of those things for you. Yeah. Um, but I haven't had it in two years. So I've had to find other ways to balance my mind, body, and spirit every day. What has that been like? What are the things you found now? Baths. I like take a bath. Like helps me like just emotionally like release, Walk, relax. Rinse everything off of yourself. Yeah. Um, cooking. I like love cooking. It helps me just like connect with myself. I think it's more of a meditation, you know, of sorts. Walking, hiking, you know. Different things. I'm curious to know how much technology you incorporate into your life mm-hmm. because it is something that sort of all of us need to email, function, run really? a, a business like you yeah. do yourself, yeah. but also, you know, have a healthy relationship with it. I think, yeah, I think, well, I wrote a whole chapter on technology in my new book and, and I think, you know, the, the sub chapters are good, the bad, the ugly, because there is, there is the good, the bad, the ugly when it comes to technology. If you're not mindful again of your time, like going through a black, going into a black hole of, you know, Facebook, which I, I remember doing when Facebook first came out, it'd be like an hour would go by and I'd be sitting where I like missed working out, missed cooking. I missed like all these things I could have been doing. But, but now I think it's just a matter of being mindful, having balance. Um, when I'm with my husband, I like tried to put away, my phone with my mom too. I know she gets annoyed if I'm on my phone. So just respecting our, my time with others. Um, and knowing what they like and knowing how they can be in a relationship with you yeah. in that capacity and have technology be a part of that as well. Right. Balance, but right. Like my husband will get in bed and he'll like look on his Instagram and I'll look at, with him on his Instagram because he's like follows really cool different <laughs> things that I don't follow. Like he, you know, motorcycle stuff, motorcycle, you know, bicycle stuff, like things I don't, you know. And so like we'll do that for like five, ten minutes, but like this is not going on for two hours. Right. You know? Do you believe that we can show our authentic selves online? I do believe that. I just think it's really hard for people to, um, to fully embrace like every aspect of it. I think some people want to say something authentic, but then they'll post a picture that is the best angle or they all, you know, do the opposite where they'll, 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 you know, 
they like I feel like it's incongruent sometimes. I feel like it's hard it's for everyone. It's challenging to yeah. be authentic online when right. you're seeing almost like a culture or a community that you think is perfect and yeah. so you want to be perfect as well. Right, right. And that's where I struggled a lot my first few years of college yeah. with you know, I know you've been so brave authentic. and you've been so courageous. I've yeah, been so admiring I mean, you. I honestly, I think it's liberating. And that's what I tell the people I work with is like to post something and say, I don't care how many likes this gets. And I don't care what you think of it. Yeah. I'm just posting it because it is my Instagram. Yeah. That feels good. And oh, it feels totally. powerful. Yeah. And I realized that for so long I was doing things to get the validation from others. Yeah. And I did not want to be someone that needed others to like myself. That was it. And it happened in like overnight. I mean, it's a longer story than that, but it was like a day switch. And then all of a sudden I saw these likes on my pictures and I was like, I feel like, I honestly feel bad getting these because I know this picture is edited. I know this isn't really what happened that day. And I felt phony. And then from that point on, I was like, I'm like anti, I'm like, yeah. my. I always joke with my boyfriend. Cause I'm like, he found me. I'm like, I have this pretty Instagram page and these bikini pictures. And now we're dating. And like, I've never posted those things anymore. Well, that's probably good. He probably likes you more authentic. Anyway. Yeah. Well, but it's no, but you funny. inspired me. I mean, seriously, like I, I love that you just put up like the face tune or whatever, yeah. right? The back and forth. Love that you did that. Very inspiring. I mean, even yesterday I posted a picture of me pregnant at 24 weeks pregnant, six months pregnant. And like, I look really pregnant. And I remember my last pregnancy, I didn't post anything really because I just felt like it looked... It's a big change in your body. You're not yeah. used to it. But you know what? There's so many other people out there that are being more authentic and being like, I'm pregnant. I'm creating another human. Mm-hmm. Like, who cares? It's like, you know, m- most right. people interpret it as something positive. Um, and so like things like that, I think, you know, people like you who I see inspire me. Thanks. Other people like, um, you know, like Ashley Graham, I was just Yeah, she's a great page as well. She's she's great and she doesn't give a crap about anything. And, you know, it's just, it's refreshing. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was really anxious about posting that Facetune Instagram because it's one thing to say, I used to edit my pictures and I don't now. Yeah. It's another to say, here are the edits I made. But that's awesome because people don't realize that that, that is like, people yeah. are looking at other people that, and oh, that looks real to and me. Your thing, edits looked real. Yeah, they look real. And the thing is, I think in some of them, you wouldn't say, oh, she doesn't look like that in real life. You would say like, oh yeah, I've seen her. Like she, that could be her. So then it's like making people think you always take perfect pictures and your body always looks good at every angle when it doesn't. But, but, you, but you look really no different, honestly. Like, like it, but that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's an eye of the beholder. Like, well, yeah, it, it's crazy to me. Like yeah. there's a picture of me in this graffiti wall and I didn't like edited my, my thighs to have like a bigger gap. Oh, and, I couldn't even tell the difference in that Well, one. I remember. <laughs> I was like, wait, what's the difference there? <laughs> that's so funny. That's how I felt too. Yeah. But I remember looking at that picture that day in New York and thinking, my legs are so big and being so like disgusted with that. Oh, they weren't the way. Yeah. And it's just crazy to me that I couldn't see like what I see now, yeah. but it's because you're right. It isn't the eye of the holder. And I honestly think when you, when you're experiencing insecurity in your body, yeah. you're projecting it, you're noticing it like on others on in your everywhere. pictures. And I was really insecure about my legs getting bigger. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing I looked in a picture. Right, right, and I right. thought like it could be smaller. It could be smaller. Right. And looking at those edits now just makes me think of like how dysmorphic and my yeah. thoughts were. It's, right. it's wild. And, but you know what's wild too is like it, it also bleeds like even you posting that that day. Like I was thinking about it for a while and it bleeds into our relationships too because like, you know, for the first time I think in the last night I posted a picture of my husband and I and I put a quote by Victor Hugo, which is like, you know, the greatest happiness in life is to feel loved 
you know, despite of being who you are, something like that. Like, which is, which is, I think what we all want, we all want to be loved for who we are, right? Truly who we are. But if we start changing who we are in pictures and we start changing this and we like, you know, morph into this, or we say what we think our partner wants to say, like, we wind up not being loved for ourselves. We wind up being loved for a version of ourselves. And that's not what we want ultimately. And I was just thinking like, you know, I think the more I become comfortable and you know, my body is being pregnant or my, my pictures or my, you know, my true personality or like whatever I'm feeling, the more confident, you know, you're going to feel because people are going to stick around. You're going to see like, oh, I don't have to be perfect. Yeah. I don't have to have look perfect in a picture. They're love sticking me. around and right? they're liking this picture yeah. and this is how I really look. Right. My friends don't care. My boyfriend doesn't care. Right. So it's, right. It's, Where is your feeling before, you know, oh, they like me, but this isn't really who I want to be. Yeah, exactly. So when did you fully love yourself and realize that that was... I think it's still a process. Okay. Yeah, I think I think especially being pregnant as a woman now, like in my late 30s, I'm like, wow, this is a real challenge. Like I've been in shape for so long, you know, probably since my mid-20s when I changed my life, I started caring about myself for the first time. And so for like a good, you know, 13 years, I've had a good routine and self-care and all that goes out the window when you're pregnant because it's just, you have no control anymore. Mm-hmm. Like your hormones, your cravings, everything's different. Your hormones, your cravings, you have to create another person. You have to just, there's so much surrendering going on involved. And now I've had two pregnancies back to back. So it's been a real big challenge this chapter of my life to like learn to love myself, to learn that like, cause you loved a version of yourself and now that person's kind of well, gone. I got married as that other right. person. I got, you know, jobs as that other person. Like my whole identity was, tied up into what I looked like as that other person and I don't look like completely different as you know but like but you still feel different like you know you you I I have a son now who's nine months I can't I don't have the same freedoms as I used to have like you know walking in a grocery store like oh men are gonna look at me you know like you just but now if you're pregnant with with a child on you you like don't feel like the same person you know and so again it's like your identity shifts in a lot of ways and I know it'll go back because I'll know I'll like look like my old self and my kids will be in school. Like I know it's all going to change again, but I think this has been like really an important um, journey for me to, to, to experience this. Cause when it comes to self love, I think it's really challenged me to be like, Oh, I thought I loved myself and I thought I was being authentic, but now this is even more like, and I think you can also correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but maybe you're realizing I don't have to connect my self love with my image and my appearance. Right. I'm so much more than that. And like yes, the person that got those jobs and got married and all those things is, is inside of you, not necessarily what you look like. Right. But that, but again, we don't identify with that. We identify with so many other things, you know? So it's, I think it's really, um, it, like it, it's really important experience that this is, this has brought me a lot of messages, a lot of lessons, which I'm still kind of sorting through. And we're constantly changing, I think, as women, as humans, mm-hmm. our whole lives. I yeah. don't believe we're ever going to have a period where we figured it out and that's the answer for the no. rest of time. No, no, no. You, I think, well, that's the beauty of life is you just keep on growing, hopefully, you know? Definitely. I've been learning. I'm, I, I, list, I made a, I've recorded a podcast with a woman and we were talking about food and our relationship with food. And for the longest time, I thought oh, I figured it out. You know, I'm done. Like I am an intuitive eater. I eat what I want when I want. I stop when I'm full. I'm done. And then I realized that she was talking about this fourth stage of your relationship with food, which is 
You can have whatever you want, when you want, but you might choose something of higher nutritional value, or you Mm -hmm. might choose something that makes you feel better, not just what you want emotionally. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's a whole other level that I have to get to. And if we can just always believe we can grow and reach new levels and heights as humans. And for example, this stage in your life, you're like, oh, cool. Like how, how can I handle this? Where can I grow and become better as Erica in this versus I don't like the change. I thought I had it together and now I've learned this thing, you know? And I was like, okay, I can embrace this. I'm not done yet. Oh yeah, totally. I was like, wow, I'm being triggered by all these new things now. And I thought, (laughs) you know, because I think in every stage of our lives, we get, you know, these beautiful things that come to us, you know, and we could look at it with resistance or you could look at it like, oh, what am I supposed to learn? You know, and I, I try to like remember and I have days where I am resistant and I'm, I'm just, you know, very surface level, like I'm upset. I don't feel good, you know? And then there's some days where I'm like, what is this trying to teach me? But I have to remember, you know? And that taps into a lot of inner strength. I yeah. think just <clears throat> knowing how strong you are and what you're capable of. Mm -hmm. Do you believe everyone has that inner strength inside of them? I do. I think everybody has it. I think everybody is capable. Um, There's hope for everyone out there. Um, It's just a matter of habits. And and like, I, you know, I talk about so much like consistency and repetition, 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 repetition. Like I have to correct myself all the time. Like when I first changed my life, I had to like become my own best friend. I had to be this new voice in my own head. I had to be like, I'm proud of you for running this block. I'm proud of you for this. You did a great job. Like I had to start, you know, different language altogether in my own head, but that had to be like every day for years on end. And now like, I don't have to think about it as much. Like, I'm just like, it's okay. You're allowed to do this. You're allowed to do that. Like it doesn't, I don't, doesn't, it feel so you know, foreign to me, whereas I'm working with people that are just starting this process and they're like, it feels so weird to like say I'm proud of myself and it feels so strange to be, you know, and I'm like, that's okay. It'll feel normal eventually. Like, you know, but it's a process. When we don't think we have this inner strength, we're probably at our weakest point in time. And I can think of, definitely think of that when I was very depressed and I didn't think it could I, you can't imagine being in your situation and feeling differently, Mm -hmm. but I think like you just said, yes, you can get there and it can be different and that can feel natural to you, but you have to believe when you're in that dark hole, when you're in that time that it is possible, but you are the only person that can get yourself there. If you're willing to put in those hours and put in the work and believe that, give yourself another, give yourself the chance to be there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you can, but like you said, it comes down to you. like you could go to a therapist every day for the rest of your life, but that person is not you when you hit the pillow every night. And I just was talking to, um, someone who's getting her doctorate. She's studying right now to be a psychologist. And she was saying that she believes like after a certain amount of time, like if you're a good therapist, you would eventually want your clients to be doing it by themselves and like growing and learning. So are you finding that with some of your clients, like when you start seeing these things happen, you're so excited for them. And, and what is that feeling like knowing you're changing someone else's life? Well, I always tell them, I mean, I just told a client this morning, like, I'm so proud of her. Like I, I, I'm very expressive with, with my pride for them. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it warms your heart. It's a really amazing feeling to see people put things into practice, to see people change, to recover, to heal. Like it's, it's the most rewarding. I mean, that's probably why I do what I do. Um, and at the same time, 
that's also why I told you that everyone could do it and that there's hope for anybody. I mean, I've seen the worst of the worst of the worst. And I know most people are like, no, but you don't realize that no one is as bad as me. And <laughs> no one, that's not, and you know, and I thought the same for myself too when I was in my dark hole, but it's, it's not true. There are people out there that can relate to you, that can help you, you can recover. Um, I've seen it all. And lastly, if you could leave the listeners with one piece of advice, what would your advice be to the person listening who loves everything you've said today, wants to embrace this mind, body, spirit lifestyle and make Mm -hmm. these changes? What would you advise them now as they continue with their day and sort of nudge them in that right path? I would say gratitude practice. I would like end it with gratitude. Um, You know, raising my kids now, I, I want to be, I want them to have like three values they grew up with, you know, one of them being gratitude. Like, being conscious and aware of your blessings every single day. So like create a practice every morning, right? You could journal it. You can have it, you know, as I was running every day, like the last block, I would really feel deeply what I was grateful for. I think connecting with that changes our anxious thoughts, changes our mood. It creates, you know, it actually releases serotonin, you know, different chemicals in our brains. Um, so I would say to everybody, just kind of sit down and really take a moment every day to reflect on what you're grateful for. I love that. It's beautiful. Thank and I you. will do that the minute that I get home today. Okay. <laughs> what I even think I'm like so grateful. I have a car to drive here. I have yeah. a computer to record. Like right. it's just the most basic things we can take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. And beyond like you, you have grown and recovered in so many ways and you're continuing to do that the rest of your life. Like that to me, the awareness is what I'm the most grateful for. Oh, that's yeah. so powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Erica. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Oh my God. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag Real Pod featuring Erica Spiegelman. I just want to circle back on the moment that Erica sort of asked me about my core value of loyalty. And she said, you know, well, is this you maybe being too sensitive? Is this something that happened with you that you're not realizing that you're making it so much harder for others to be accepted by you because of it? And I would like to bring to attention that I think a good a portion of people might be offended when someone challenges them in that way or, oh, it can't be me or no, I'm perfect. I'm a great human that it can't be me. I think that I did a pretty good job of, of accepting what Erica's criticism was and thinking, yeah, maybe this is me, but I really have to think about it. So on my drive home from this interview, I really sat there and I thought, why do I care so much about loyalty? Why does it bother me so much when people betray me or when people lie or when people do this and that? And I, I was trying to think of a moment or a big betrayal from a friend and I couldn't think of one. So then I started looking at my um, kind of family life and the same way Erica said, like the way we are raised and, and the values are instilled in us, I realized that it had been it had been instilled in me by my parents growing up to never lie. Never lie. If I even skipped school for some reason and I said, oh, I have a cold or just call in sick, that was never okay. They didn't even want me to have a white lie. Like none of that was okay. And I do remember there was one time that I was lied to by a parent and I was just shocked. I was absolutely taken aback by the fact that this value could have been instilled in me so heavily. And then for for them to go back on their word in this moment and me realize that they had lied about something. So that is the summary and the surface level explanation. But I really think I, and then I texted Erica afterwards saying, I think it must've been this. And I think it's true, right? I had 
this, this thing happened to me and now, and it really affected me at the time to think, wow, like I think a lie is sort of a form of betrayal. It's a betrayal of trust. So now, you know, when a little thing happens with someone or they lie or they do something wrong, I think maybe I I still have this emotion of this like pure shock and, you know, feeling that you were lied, like maybe from my family and this thing that happened so many years ago, that still sort of manifests itself in very small ways with other people and smaller issues and smaller relationships. So I say this because I'm hoping that you guys can also do the work in your own life to figure out what it is that could be hindering or helping you. So I wanted to share that. If you guys loved this episode today, please give it five stars and leave me a review on iTunes. I would really appreciate it. And make sure you're following the podcast on Instagram. The username is RealPod. Thank you guys so much. Make sure to subscribe and I will see you here next Tuesday.